0: welcome to the time machine talk show here's your host miss ziegler Welcome AP scholars, welcome back to the fourth episode of Time Machine Talk Show. Today we'll be talking and discussing about the early civilizations. So if you go to page 80 in your textbook, the first topic is comparing Mesopotamia and Egypt. And the question that we're going to try to answer is, in what ways did Mesopotamian and Egyptian civilizations differ from each other? One of the essay skills that you're going to be learning is about similarities and differences. It's one of the easier skills, but this is a really good example of how those essays should be written and the details in which you should write them. So pay attention to that as we're looking for similarities and differences. So underneath comparing Mesopotamia and Egypt, there is a heading that says environment and culture. That's where we're going to start. It says, the civilizations of both Mesopotamia and Egypt grew up in river valleys and depended on their rivers to sustain a productive agriculture in otherwise arid lands. Arid meaning dry. Those rivers, however, were radically different. At the heart of the Egyptian life was the Nile, that green gash of teeming life which rose predictably every year to bring the soil and water that nurtured a rich Egyptian agriculture. The Tigris and Euphrates rivers, which gave life to Mesopotamian civilization, also rose annually, but unpredictably and fitfully breaking man's dikes and submerging his crops. Furthermore, an open environment without serious obstacles to travel made Mesopotamia far more vulnerable to invasion than the much more protected space of Egypt which was surrounded by deserts, mountains, seas, and cataracts. For long periods of its history, Egypt enjoyed a kind of free security from external attack that Mesopotamians clearly lacked so you see a similarity of both like growing up in the river valleys but then it goes into the differences that pertain to that you can't just simply say that they were both river valleys that's not enough you have to explain why that's important and i would go if you're going to um if you're going to talk about this in these terms in an essay I would use this as a difference even though they're both depending on the rivers that's not a big enough similarity that you can like really expand whereas you can expand the differences of how unpredictable the Mesopotamia River was versus the Egyptian River and how uh, the environments were different. The last part that talks about the environment in in, uh, terms of invasion and where Egypt was more protected than Mesopotamia you could use that as a difference as well if you knew some of the details of the wars that Mesopotamia had been in and things like that all right now let's skip down to the last paragraph it says Mesopotamia's location within a precarious unpredictable and often violent environment arguably contributed to an outlook suggesting that humankind was caught in an inherently disorderly world, subject to the whims of capricious and quarreling gods, and faced death without much hope of blessed life beyond. So that's a lot of words, but basically what they're saying is because of its location, people were a little bit more negative about life, and they thought that the gods were uh, more negative towards them as well. It goes on to talk about a Mesopotamian poet, complained, I have prayed to the gods and sacrificed, but who can understand the gods in heaven? Who knows what they planned for us? Who has ever been able to understand a god's conduct? One character in the famous Epic of Gilgamesh declared, When the gods created man, they allotted to him death, but life they retained in their own keeping. By contrast, so here's a difference, elite literate culture in Egypt developing in a more stable, predictable, and beneficent environment produced a rather more cheerful and hopeful outlook on the world. So basically they're saying that Egypt was a little bit more positive in their beliefs and culture. The rebirth of the sun every day and the river every year seemed to assure Egyptians that life would prevail over death. The amazing pyramids constructed during Egypt's Old Kingdom reflected the firm belief that at least the pharaohs and other high-ranking people would successfully make the journey to eternal life in the land of the West. Incantations for the dead describe an afterlife of abundance and tranquility that Gilgamesh could only have envied. Incantations is kind of like a chant or a magic spell, and so basically what it's saying is that the incantations of Egypt were more positive, more tranquil, or peaceful than those of Mesopotamia. And if you keep going, it says, Over time, larger groups of people beyond the pharaoh and his entourage came to believe that they too would gain access to the afterlife if they followed proper procedures and lived a morally upright life. Thus, Egyptian civilization not only affirmed the possibility of eternal life, but also expanded access to it. Okay, in the next paragraph, it's going to talk about the early writings of the Epic of Gilgamesh. You want to put that down in your notes as an important document early in the civilizations. And over in the AP exam tip is how you spell it. And the paragraph goes on to say, if the different environments of Mesopotamia and Egypt shaped their societies and cultures, those civilizations, with their mounting populations and growing demands for resources, likewise had an impact on the environment. So this whole paragraph is going to talk about what their impact on the environment was. Take some notes on this. It says, the Epic of Gilgamesh inscribed in mythology the deforestation of Mesopotamia. When the ruler Gilgamesh sought to make For himself, a name that endures by building walls, ramparts, temples, he required much timber. But to acquire it, he had to first kill Humbaba, appointed by the gods to guard the forest. The epic describes what happened next. Then there followed confusion. Now the mountains were moved and all the hills, for the guardian of the forest was killed. They attacked the cedars, so they pressed on into the forest. And while Gilgamesh felled the first of the trees of the forest, and Kidu, a friend of Gilgamesh, cleared their roots as far as the banks of the Euphrates. In Sumer or Southern Mesopotamia, such deforestation and the soil erosion that followed from it sharply decreased crop yields between 2400 and 1700 BCE. So the results of the deforestation would have been erosion which decreased the crop yields. Make sure and put that down in your notes. Also contributing to this disaster was the increasing salinization of the soil a long-term outcome of intensive irrigation. Salinization just means the process of adding salt to the soil So, let's go on. Let me find my spot here. Um, By 2000 BCE, there were reports that the earth turned white as salt accumulated in the soil. As a result, wheat was largely replaced by barley, which is far more tolerant of salty conditions. This ecological deterioration clearly weakened Sumerian city-states, facilitated their conquest by foreigners, and shifted the center of Mesopotamian civilization permanently to the north. So... (laughs) that was pretty devastating, right? Like, I mean, it completely shifts the whole civilization because of this um, impact on the environment. All right, going on, it's going to talk about Egypt. So it says, Egypt, by contrast, here's a difference, created a more sustainable agricultural system, which lasted for thousands of years and contributed to the remarkable continuity of its civilization. There's that word continuity, that means it does not change. Whereas Sumerian irrigation involved a complex and artificial network of canals and dikes that led to the salinization of the soil, its Egyptian counterpart was much less intrusive, simply regulating the natural flow of the Nile. Such a system avoided the problem of salty soils, allowing Egyptian agriculture to emphasize wheat production but it depended on the general regularity and relative gentleness of the Nile's annual flooding. On occasion, that pattern was interrupted, with serious consequences for Egyptian society. An extended period of low floods between 2250 and 1950 BCE led to sharply reduced agricultural output, large-scale starvation, the loss of livestock, and consequently, social upheaval and political disruption. Nonetheless, Egypt's ability to work with its more favorable natural environment enabled a degree of stability and continuity that proved impossible in Sumer, where human action intruded more heavily into a less benevolent natural setting. So that last sentence would be important to put in your notes, but we can summarize it a little bit and just say that Egypt had a more favorable natural environment, which helps it be more sustainable or long-lasting, whereas Sumer because of how they irrigated it affected the land and it was not as good of a natural setting for that civilization. Okay, moving on, it talks about the political differences between Mesopotamia and Egypt. So we're going to look at page 82 at the very bottom. It says politically as well as culturally and environmentally Mesopotamian Egypt civilizations differed sharply. For its first 1,000 years, Mesopotamian civilization located in the southern Tigris-Euphrates region, known as Sumer, was organized in a dozen or more separate and independent city-states. Each city-state was ruled by a king, who claimed to represent the city's patron deity, who controlled the affairs of the walled city and surrounding rural area. Quite remarkably, some 80% of the population of Sumer lived in one or another of these city-states making Mesopotamia the most thoroughly urbanized society of ancient times. The chief reason for this massive urbanization, however, lay in the great flaw of this system, for frequent warfare among these Sumerian city-states caused people living in rural areas to flee to the walled cities for protection. With an overarching authority, rivalry over land and water often led to violent conflict. These conflicts, together with environmental devastation, eventually left Sumerian cities vulnerable to outside forces, and after 2350 BCE, stronger peoples from northern Mesopotamia conquered Sumer's warring cities, bringing an end to the Sumerian phase of Mesopotamian civilization. First, the Akkadians, and later the Babylonians and the Assyrians, created larger territorial states or bureaucratic empires that encompassed all or most of Mesopotamia. Periods of political unity now descended upon this first civilization, but it was unity imposed from the outside. Whereas European civilization, It's gonna be different. You see that they use by contrast. You can use that in your essays when you're doing uh, differences. So Egyptian civilization, by contrast, began its history around 3100 BCE with the merger of several earlier states or chiefdoms into a unified territory that stretched some thousand miles along the Nile. For an amazing 3,000 years, the Egypt of the pharaohs maintained its unity and independence, though with occasional interruptions. A combination of wind patterns that made it easy to sail south along the Nile and a current flowing north facilitated communication, exchange, unity, and stability within the Nile River. Here was a record of political longevity and continuity that the Mesopotamians and many other ancient peoples could not replicate. So that basically just means that because the communication and unity was so good that they had political stability, that it continued throughout time. An Egyptian territorial state and cultural identity persist still in northeastern Africa. Cities in Egypt were less important than in Mesopotamia, although political capitals, market centers, and major burial sites gave Egypt an urban presence as well. Most people lived in agricultural villages along the river rather than in urban centers, perhaps because Egypt's greater security made it less necessary for people to gather in fortified towns. The focus of the Egyptian state resided in the pharaoh, believed it to be God in human form. He alone assured the daily rising of the sun and annual flooding of the Nile. All of the country's many officials served at his pleasure, and access to the afterlife lay in proximity to him and burial in or near his towering pyramids. So basically the pharaoh was treated like a god, which is a little bit different than um, how the... uh, how the government was set up in Mesopotamia. This image of the pharaoh and his role as an enduring symbol of Egyptian civilization persisted over the course of three millennia. But the realities of Egyptian political life did not always match the ideal. As the zooming in feature on Pheneb so vividly illustrates, if you see page 84, uh, by 2400 BCE the power of the pharaoh had diminished as local officials and nobles who had been awarded their own land and were able to pass their positions on to their sons assumed greater authority. When changes in the weather resulted in the Nile's repeated failure to flood properly around 2200 BCE, the authority of the pharaoh was severely discredited, and Egypt dissolved for several centuries into a series of local principalities. Remember when we talked about China and the early Chinese civilization with the mandate of heaven and the rotation of dynasties called the dynastic cycle. Remember we discussed that because of weather sometimes a ruler would fall out of favor because he was blamed for the flooding. The same thing is happening here in Egypt and that's what they just discussed there. The next section talks about the interaction between Egypt and Mesopotamia and how they traded with each other. And then it goes on to talk about civilization as a word and what it all means. So make sure and finish up that part of the reading. If you want to look at the documents, the documents are really good. They're about the Indus River Valley civilization. And you can look at some artifacts. There's also some multiple choice questions that you can practice and some short answer questions that you can practice. If you need help with that, stop by the Learning Center sometime during tutorials and I will help you out. So that wraps up episode four of the Time Machine Talk Show. Talk to you next time.